0: Let's open God's Word to the book of Ephesians. We will read Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 15 through the end of the chapter. The text for tonight's sermon will once again be verses 25 through 33. I will not be rereading those verses. Ephesians chapter 5, this is the inspired and thus infallible Word of our God. Verse 15 See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, So let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And now what follows are the words of the text for tonight's sermon. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it, that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word, that He might present it to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of His body, of His flesh, and of His bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. In our ongoing series, Through the book of Ephesians, we have come to the passage of Scripture that sets before husbands their particular calling to their wives. For in our series, we have moved from general applications that are broadly applicable to all in the church to more specific applications that are aimed at specific segments of the congregation. And within that section, we've already considered the calling of a wife toward her husband. She is to submit herself to her husband as her head. And the corresponding calling that comes to husbands is the calling to love their wives. That's the instruction given here to us. And by way of reminder, this is our second sermon on this exact set of verses. Because as we saw last time, even as the Apostle Paul, by inspiration, gives this calling to husbands to love their wives, he gives just as much, if not more, instruction about the love of Jesus Christ for the church. And in order to do justice to both parts of this one unit, consisting of verses 25-33, through We're having two sermons on this set of verses. The first sermon focused on the love of Jesus Christ for the church, but not to the exclusion of application toward marriage. And now in our second sermon, we focus more on the calling of the husband to love his wife, but certainly not to the exclusion of reminding ourselves of that love of Christ that we talked about last time. So with that brief introduction, let's dive into this passage the second time using as our theme, the husband's Christ-like love for his wife. Tonight we're going to look at first his loving headship, second at the husband's nurturing care, and then third at his sacrificial giving. The husband's Christ-like love for his wife, his loving headship his nurturing care, and his sacrificial giving. The clear calling that comes to husbands in this passage is love your wife. That's what we read in verse 25. The instruction is the primary calling of the husband is not rule your wife, and it's certainly not, Make her submit by force or manipulation. But the calling of the text is what we read in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. And the text emphasizes this calling. It does so by repeating this central calling three different times. We just read verse 25, but then again in verse 28, we read, So ought men to love their wives. And then again in verse 33, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself. Could the passage be any clearer? But it emphasizes it still further. And it does that with a specific language in verse 28 where it says, So ought men to love their wives. And the idea of that word ought is that this is really the debt. That a husband owes to his wife. He's obligated to love her. He's bound to love his wife. The text is emphasizing this calling that comes to every married man in the church. Husbands, love your wives. And now husbands, why do you suppose Scripture so emphasizes this calling? Is it not because we are tempted to do the very opposite? There are indeed temptations for us, and the temptation for husband is really twofold. On the one hand, the temptation is to be bitter toward our wives, the exact opposite of love. And if you don't believe me that that's a temptation, then consider what Scripture itself teaches us. In the parallel passage in Colossians 3, verse 19, Paul gives the same basic calling, but he couples it with a negative exhortation. Colossians 3, verse 19, Husbands, love your wives. And then he adds, and be not bitter against them. Why does he add be not bitter against them? Well, part of it is he's teaching us these two are the exact opposite. Love versus bitterness. But the other part of it is because He knows this is a temptation for husbands. How many married couples did the Apostle Paul counsel only to see again and again that there would be bitterness in the heart of a husband toward his wife? It's a temptation for husbands to focus on the weaknesses of our wife. To focus on those aspects of her personality that we really don't, Appreciate, or to focus on the things that she does differently than the way that we would do, and to conclude from all of that, well, my wife is not very lovable, or she's not worthy of my love for her. And what happens is we develop bitterness in our hearts, we develop resentment, hatred toward our wives. And it's over against that temptation that the calling of the text is love your wife. Love your wife. Love your wife. And it's so important that we avoid that bitterness because when we give place to that bitterness in our hearts, that that so often is what leads to the other great temptation for husbands. The one being bitter towards their wife. The other to have covetous, adulterous desires for another woman. The main calling is, husbands, love your wife. And there's the contrast between love and bitterness, but then there's also the object of that love. And this too is a temptation. This is the reason why the Apostle Paul makes a point of love your own wife. Verse 33, for example, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife. Wife. The wife that God has appointed for you from all eternity. The wife that God built in time making her just the right one for you. And the wife that God in His providence brought to you. Love her. And that's such an important word because of the temptation that comes to husbands. Husbands because we've allowed bitterness resentment to have a place in our hearts, we start to look elsewhere. We start to daydream about what it would be like to be married to that other woman that we know whom we really appreciate. We start to wish in our heart that God's providence had been different and that I would have married someone else really anyone else other than my wife. And we start to covet. We start to have adulterous desires towards other women. And over against that temptation, the calling of the text is, husband, love your own wife. Your God-given wife. And now it's in light of these temptations that we see why it's so important that that this passage emphasizes as much as it does Christ's love for us. We saw that last time when we looked at this passage. We saw that even as the Apostle Paul calls husbands three different times to love their wives, In each case, that calling is coupled to Christ's love for the church. So that, for example, in verse 25, we're told husbands love your wives, but then he immediately adds, even as Christ also loved the church. And we also took note last time that while there are these callings that come to the husband, that really the intervening verses tell us more about Christ's love for the church than they do about the husband's calling toward his wife so that this passage places just as much, if not a greater emphasis on Christ's love for the church than it does upon the calling of the husband. And the question is, why? Because it's Christ's love that is the motivation and the power for us as husbands to love our wives. It's more than that. It's also the model, the pattern for us as husbands. That too is a part of the text. When verse 25 tells us, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church. It's telling us, here's the manner in which you are to love her. This is what love for your wife should look like. That is, His love is a a pattern, a model, an example. But it's not just a model. It's the motivation. It's not just the pattern. It's the power for our love. Because it's only when we know Christ's love for us as husbands, And we're thankful for that love that we will then want to love our wives as an expression of His love for us. It's knowing that Christ has loved me, an unlovable sinner that makes us willing to love someone whom perhaps we've reached the conclusion, I don't see how I can love her anymore. It's Christ's love that is the power and the motivation. And therefore, even as we come to this calling to husbands, we must have at the forefront of our minds Christ's love for the church. That is, do not allow the fact that we're having two separate sermons on this text be the occasion for you to disconnect the main message of the first sermon from the main message of the second sermon. We must ever meditate upon the love of Christ for His bride, the church, for it's only then that we will ever love our wives. Husbands, love your wife. That's the main calling. But now we have to take that main calling and connect it to the God-given god given position that a husband has within a marriage, because that too is a part of what this passage teaches us, namely that husbands are the head of their wives. That's really what we learned back in verse 23. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. When we looked at verse 23, it was a part of the sermon on the calling of wives to submit themselves to to their husbands, but it still has bearing and application for husbands. It's teaching us the position that God gives to a husband within a marriage. Namely, a position of authority. And as the head, He is called to be the leader of His wife and the leader of His home. As the head, He is called to manage His home and His family. And we say that in light of the Language found in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, which speaks of a, a potential office bearer ruling well his own household. And the idea of that word ruling is that he manages it. Not in the negative sense of the word of micromanaging his wife, but in the, the good sense of the word of directing her, giving her guidance, giving her leadership. That's the position of a husband in the marriage. He is the head of of his wife, but now what we want to do is connect the central calling to that position. Namely, this headship must be a loving headship. For the calling in the passage is not first and foremost, lead her, that is implied, that is a calling of a husband, but we do not read in Ephesians chapter 5, lead her, lead her, lead her. But instead we read, love her, love her, love her. And what that's teaching us is that it's love for the wife that must govern that headship of the husband. That is, in that position of authority, he is to use that authority for the good of his wife, for her profit, for her advantage. And that comes to expression in a particular way. This loving headship means that husbands will seek the spiritual good and the spiritual growth of their wives. For is that not how Christ loved his church? It is. We talked about that love of Christ last time, and we saw in verse 25, that Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. That is, for the church's advantage, for her salvation, for her profit, for her good. And the passage went on to describe that particular good, verse 26, that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word. That's how Christ loves the church. He seeks her spiritual good, her spiritual growth. And as husbands... Being a loving head means that we love our wives in that same way. And now certainly, we cannot atone for our sins. We cannot sanctify our wives in the same way that Christ sanctifies them, but we can seek their spiritual good. We are called to seek their spiritual good. To help them grow from a a spiritual point of view. That's what loving headship looks like. Now even as we say that, a word of caution is in order. Because men seeking her spiritual growth does not mean that we constantly point out all of her faults. That we're ever criticizing or being critical of her because that's not going to serve her sanctification. Nor should we try to make our wives to be just like ourselves. That is, as we seek her spiritual growth, we should not be trying to conform our wives to our own image so that they look just like me. But instead, we're to remember how Christ sanctifies us by means of the gospel sanctification does not come by means of scolding that is it does not come when the law is used as a club to hit somebody that's not how Christ sanctifies his bride the church but he sanctifies her by means of the the gospel the good news of salvation and in that work he's he's conforming the church to his own image the image of Christ so that as husbands we're not trying to make our wives just like ourselves but wherever Pointing them to their Savior. To their true and heavenly Bridegroom, Jesus Christ. And concretely, this means as husbands we are to be the spiritual leaders in the home. Leading our wife to church where she will be under the means of grace. Leading her in devotion so that she's hearing the Word and being directed to Christ throughout the week. That's our calling as loving heads in the home, and men recognize that, if and when we love our wives in this way, that it becomes so much easier for her to submit herself to us, perhaps. Some husbands here think my wife is not as submissive as she ought to be. And maybe there's truth to that. But the solution is not that you try to make her submit. The solution is not that you repeatedly issue the calling, submit, submit, submit. The solution is to love her. To care for her, to be devoted to her. That's the calling of the husband. And it's when love is what characterizes our headship as husbands that a godly wife comes to appreciate that headship. Because it is for her a safeguard. It's a a beautiful thing for her. She, She embraces that because she knows that this headship is for her good. And that means within the dynamic of marriage, men, it starts with us. Yes, when there are marriage problems, there are usually... Issues of blame on both sides, but the reality is that as husbands, it starts with us and our calling to love our wives. That's the central calling of this passage. A call to loving headship. And a part of that loving headship is that we provide nurturing care for our wives. Wives. We're to nurture them. That's the calling that comes to us, especially in verse 29. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. And now, standing behind this call to nurturing care of our wives is the truth that we've been joined together in a one-flesh union. That she now belongs to us as husbands. And that's what's being taught to us, for example, in verse 31. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Paul here is quoting from Genesis 2 verse 24. And this verse teaches us that when a man and a woman get married, they who were two are now made one. The verse speaks of a them being one flesh. And it's in light of that that we refer to marriage as a one flesh union. There is the closest possible union between a husband and a wife so that she's a part of you and you are a part of her and she's a, a member of your body. And that's what comes out in this passage when in verse 28 we are read, "...so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies." She... she Belongs to you. She's a part of you. you. She's been joined to you. And because that's true, you have the calling to love her as belonging to your body, as a part of your body, a member of your body. And this passage then tells us what that love looks like. Love her as a part of your body. Verse 28, "...so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies." And then verse 29 is what gives us the specifics. And there's two specifics here. Verse 29, "...for no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but one, nourisheth, and two, cherisheth it." As husbands, we are to nourish our wives. That is, we are to provide for them Physically, emotionally, but especially spiritually. For our wives do have needs. And those needs must be met in order for them to function, in order to them, in order for them to flourish. And our husband our calling as husbands is to provide those needs, to nourish them. Certainly that includes. Caring for them from a physical point of view, we're called to labor as husbands so that we can earn a living in order to provide for our families. This also includes caring for, for her from an emotional point of view, spending time with her, listening to her, giving her your attention. But above all, this talks this what's in view is caring for her from a spiritual point of view. As husbands, we are to lead her to the green pastures of God's Word. We're to see to it that she's refreshed by the waters of the Gospel. The calling of husbands is to nourish their wives. But then along with that calling comes secondly the calling to cherish our wives. But nourisheth and cherisheth, even as the Lord the church. And what's interesting here is the Specific word that's used because the literal idea of this word to cherish means to make warm or to keep warm, and thus it refers to taking care of our wives in a tender, compassionate way that involves. Making them comfortable. So that as husbands, when this word comes to us to cherish our wives, that means as husbands, we are to do our utmost to remove those things that are a cause, the occasion for severe discomfort for our wives. Now, this is not talking about pampering our wives and making it so that they never have to do a thing at all. That's not the point. But instead, we can perhaps use the illustration of someone who's going on a very long run or a long hike. As that person sets out, he wants to make sure that he has the proper clothing, attire on. He's not going to wear a garment that's going to cause his skin to chafe. He's not going to have anything on him that's going to be abrasive, that's going to make him uncomfortable as he goes and hinder him on that journey. He's going to take those things and remove them. And that's the calling of husbands for our wives. As much as we're able, and it's possible for us, to take those things that are abrasive, that cause our wife to chafe, and do our utmost to get rid of them, to remove them from her. That's what it means to cherish our wives. And now it's in light of this calling to provide this nurturing care to nourish and to cherish our wives that we see very clearly the sinfulness of domestic spousal abuse. And by abuse, I mean the murderous treatment of a husband toward his wife that is both persistent and deliberate. And this includes more than the murderous actions that leave her damaged from a physical point of view. This includes also those murderous words, gestures, actions, tone of voice that likewise leave her damaged from an emotional or psychological point of view. We're talking about the husband who is constantly calling his wife names. Who's using degrading speech toward his wife. Who's constantly critical of her. Always belittling his wife. All of that is a violation of the sixth commandment. Thou shall not kill. And as much as we would like to think that no husband within the church of Jesus Christ would ever be guilty of this sin, Our recent history as a denomination has taught us otherwise. Because there are ministers and professors who are giving lectures and writing pamphlets and articles about this very sin teaching us this is a sin not just out there in the wicked world, but a sin here in the church. And it's over against this sin that the calling of the text is so important. husbands, Nourish and cherish her. Remove those things that are a source of discomfort and recognize that this must start with ourselves. When we hear that word, we should not think immediately of, well, if some unruly drunk tries to be mean to my wife when we're walking down the street, I'll stop him. But what we need to think about first is protecting her not from some danger on the street, but protecting her from my own sinful flesh. From that murderous old man within me and my own inclination to treat her in that murderous manner. We must eliminate the sinful words, looks, expressions, actions that are like an abrasive garment that causes our wife to chafe when she's around us. Husbands, nourish and cherish your wife. that's not the only danger that this calling implicitly forbids. Because for some of us, we might be able to say honestly before the face of God, well, I'm not the husband I ought to be. I'm not abusive. But can you also say, and can I also say, neither do I neglect her, because that too is a danger that must be avoided. Not just the sin of abuse, but the sin of neglect. Of never having the time of day for her. Of never spending quality time with her. And hearing from her about what's going on in her life, but instead, we spend all of our times at work all of our time in our hobbies, or all of our time sitting on the couch in front of the TV or the computer or wherever it may be. It's over against that sin, too, that the passage comes to us and says, Husbands, nourish and cherish your wives. Because if you truly nourish her, if you're going to nourish her and cherish her, there's no room for coldness. There's no room for neglect. But you you need to live with her. Even as 1 Peter 3, verse 7 calls us, likewise ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. Share your life with her. That's what marriage entails. It's... Right there in verse thirty-one of the passage we read, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife. And the language in Genesis is that husbands and wives are to cling to each other, to to cleave to one another, to be devoted to one another, not neglecting each other. And so, over against all. Sinful abuse and all sinful neglect. The calling of the passage is, husbands, love your wives. And here's how. By nourishing and cherishing her. Because is that not how Christ loves you? Notice the end of verse 29. For no man ever yet hated his own wife, but nourisheth and cherisheth it. Even as the Lord, the church, Paul, does it again. He sets before husbands their calling and then he immediately points us back to the Gospel. To the good news of salvation and the love of Christ for us. A love that is never abusive. A love that is never cruel in its treatment of us. And a love that's never neglectful. He's not too busy ruling over the other parts of the earth that He neglects His bride. But He nourishes His bride. He gives her everything she needs. And not just barely enough so that she can eke out an existence. But He showers her with blessings so that we are blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. And we're reminded again that that verse that we keep quoting again and again, chapter 1, verse 3, how it points us to the central theme, the blessedness of the church of Jesus Christ because our bridegroom nourishes His bride. And He cherishes His bride too. And that He makes her warm. He makes her comfortable. For He diverts so many evils from coming upon us that would otherwise come upon us? How many abrasive trials has He kept from us as His bride? And as for those difficulties that are necessary for us, He takes those and He uses them for our good, for our salvation. And insofar as we are Hurt in different ways. It's our loving bridegroom who's there to gently heal us, to bind our wombs, to bring the balm of the Gospel and to soothe our pain. Our bridegroom cherishes his bride. So shall we not do the same, Husbands? As our response of gratitude to our Savior. Christ has done so much for us and He continues to do so much for us. And when in our hearts we're thankful for that, and we go to the Lord and say, what shall I render for all Thy benefits towards Me? Christ comes to us and says, here's the outlet for husbands to show their love for Me. Love your wife. Do those things that I've done for you and now do it to her. Because the reality is that while we are to love Christ in response to His love for us, we cannot do these same things back to Him. As we've described the language of the text of. Nourishing and cherishing, that is, making comfortable, removing those things that are abrasive. Well, Christ is in heaven. He doesn't need us to nourish him or to cherish him in that specific way. And so he comes to us who are husbands and says, Instead of doing that back to me, nourish and cherish your wife. as the thankful response for my love for You. And it's only when we have that outlook outlook, that we will not only provide this nurturing care, but we will also give of ourselves in a sacrificial manner. Because that too is a part of the calling of this passage and really It brings us back to the beginning. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. We are to love our wives in a sacrificial, giving manner because this is how Christ loved us. Christ so loved the church that He gave Himself for it. For did not our savior say to his disciples for even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many and we all recognize that he he not only said this in word but he he performed it in very deed he showed his loving service for his people when he got down on his hands and knees and washed the the feet of His disciples. And thus, it's no wonder Paul could write elsewhere about our Savior that He made Himself of no reputation. That He took upon Himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in the fashion as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient unto death Even the death of the cross in His love for us, Christ gave Himself. He gave Himself over into the hands of the enemy. And in doing that, He was giving Himself to be led to Calvary. Where He would give Himself to be nailed to that accursed tree. And to to endure all the pain and the suffering that accompanied that. And He gave Himself to be a sacrifice for our sins, to bear the punishment we deserve for our sins. Oh, how He loves us! He loves us so much He gave Himself. And now out of gratitude for that, as husbands, we are to love our wives in that same way. To give of ourselves in the same self-sacrificial manner. To give. Not just a paycheck every two weeks or months so that she can pay the bills. That is part of our calling. Not just some flowers or some other nice gift, although there is certainly room for that. but to give ourselves. To give her our time. So that rather than neglecting her, we spend quality time with her. We're to give her our energy so that rather than expending it all during the work day so that we have nothing left for our wife, we make sure we devote As much energy to our marriage as we do to our calling in the workplace. We're to give give her our ear. To listen to her. To hear about her day. And I trust you recognize that is different than just being in the same room while she's talking. But truly, give her our ear. Listen to her. We're to give of ourselves. And to do so in a self-sacrificial way, in a, a way where we're willing to serve our wives in concrete, practical ways. Helping in the home. Helping with the children. Imagine a husband coming home to his wife at the end of a work day and she's in the middle of Trying to get dinner ready, maintain the house, and watch over the kids. And he walks in and with a view to being romantic, tells his wife, Honey, I love you so much, I would die for you. I would take a bullet for you if I had to. That wife would have every right to say in response, honey, that's very sweet of you. But while you're waiting for that bullet to come around, can you change little Johnny's diaper? And can you help Susie with her homework? Because that, that would be real help to me right now. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for it. Love her. And do so for Christ's sake. For of ourselves, we will never love her in this way. As the catechism teaches us, by nature we are prone to hate God and to hate our neighbor, and that includes being prone to hate our closest neighbor, our wife. And therefore, tonight as husbands, we must look to Christ. We look to Him for the forgiveness of all the times we have failed to love our wives in this way. Confessing our lack of love, our bitterness, our wandering eyes as sin, and seeking forgiveness in the blood of Jesus Christ, And at the same time, looking to Him for strength, for the grace and the power to make a small beginning in heeding this Word. May God so help us. Amen. Our Father in Heaven, We thank Thee for Christ's love for us. And we pray that Thou wouldst ever keep our spiritual eyes of faith directed to that love. And may the knowledge of His love be the impetus, the motivation for us to love one another and especially as husbands to love our wives. Father, we're thankful that for three Sundays now, we could spend time hearing instruction from Thy Word concerning marriage and the calling of husbands and wives. Father, use these sermons for the good of the marriages in this congregation. In those places where there is a marriage that is not healthy, use this Word to bring healing. And in the many marriages where there are both the joys of marriage as well as the difficulties, we pray that this will only strengthen those marriages. This is our prayer, Father, because we recognize that the strength of our marriages has an impact on the strength of our overall homes and the strength of the church and this specific congregation. So take these words and apply them. Cause us to live according to them. Hear this prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen.